The following is a conversation with Crystal Derry, founder and owner of Mobility Movement, an app and platform um, that helps you gain flexibility, um, restore calm through different mobility and movement uh, programs, as well as breathwork, meditation, um, and generally speaking, um, uh, prep programs before weightlifting, CrossFit, and, and different type of things. This is a curious art of being human. If you want to support that uh, podcast, you can subscribe to uh, the channel. And that is pretty much it. And now, Crystal Derry. Um, so the first question, uh, which is on an important uh, subject, <laughs> is... Uh, Yes or no, and, and if yes or no, how did uh, internet memes change uh, the world? How did internet memes change the world? Because I know, I know, yeah, I know you like <laughs> I love you like memes. memes. Uh, why why do, you, do you like them, and, and how, yeah, just a simple question, like, what, what do you think, why do you think memes are, are um, popular, and, and, and why do you like them specifically? Well, okay, that's such a that's such a loaded question, but um, <laughs> I like them because I I love how universal the shared experience can be, in that someone can post something that speaks directly to me, and I'm like, how did you know that I had that dark sense of humor? Yeah. And then, like, when you share it, you share that shared experience, and it's like this instant moment of connection of like laughter or joy like you know that you're laughing at it and you know the other person's laughing or chuckling at it and it might be something really dark but it is also like humorous and light um and they're so like quick I think that's the thing that I like about them is like the quick nature of them I think that's why they're also like they get so much pace in the online world is because they can be universal yeah relatively quickly so mm. a quick way to connect yes with people. Yeah. yes yeah. and cool. connecting through humor mm -hmm. yeah. right it's a nice way to connect and it's a it's a light way to connect mm -hmm. um, and there's also like a shared experience in there as well yeah. so I don't know that's yeah sometimes you feel like you're the only one who are doing something or thinking something and then you see a meme and you, you see thousands if not millions of people that yes. are liking it I don't know I'm not the only one so yes yeah. I'm not the only one yeah, yeah. yeah and then you like you see how many people have liked it or commented mm -hmm. on you're like wow I'm really not the only one yeah, yeah, yeah. that's nice that's uh, it makes the world the internet world a, a better better place for sure yeah um, so the, the first thing I wanted to dive into is how did you first get into uh, Olympic weightlifting? Um, were you at like what age or what phase of your life and like uh, um, were you doing other sports before that and how did you get specifically into um, weightlifting. weightlifting? Yeah, yeah um, I've, I've been in sports my whole life. Mm -hmm. So from a very young age, I was, I played soccer. I, I did gymnastics, dance, like I was, I loved gym in school. Like I've always loved mm -hmm. movement as a child. Yeah. And I got injured when I was young playing soccer. So I think I was 13 when mm -hmm. I got injured and I um, had a second degree tear in my ACL, which eventually led to a third degree one. And mm -hmm. I needed 
reconstructive surgery, I think three years later. And so it was actually through my physical therapy mm -hmm. that my physical therapist was like, it's gonna be really important for you, Crystal, to do strength training. Mm. If you want the full usage of your knee after your surgery, you really have to mm. be committed to this lifelong. And I really appreciated that perspective, him, him saying like, this is, you're not just rehabbing your injury, mm -hmm. you have to rehab for a longevity purpose. Mm -hmm. So he really framed it in for me in a way that I could take that and say, I have to do this for the rest of my life. I have to be strong mm -hmm. for the rest of my life so that my knee can function well. Right. Um, and so it gave me a really strong value system at like age 14 mm -hmm. for resistance training. That's what I knew it yeah. as when I was 14. And then I went into university to, my interest was in kinesiology. Mm -hmm. um, was that influenced by- uh, 100%. By and did you, sorry to cut you, did, did you right away enjoy like the resistance training and, and things like that? What was like right away the thing? Was it something, Right away you were like, oh, like our, I actually I, like this as well, or was it I need to do anyway? And, and Yeah, that's, um, that's a good question. I think I saw it initially, like as a little girl, I was like, this is the only path for me to be able to play soccer again. Mm -hmm. And I, I loved soccer. I really wanted to keep playing soccer. Uh, I never actually returned to the sport after my surgery. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, because I actually just got more joy out of mm -hmm. resistance training or strength yeah. training. Then in university, I went to kinesiology, learned more about specifically about exercise science. Mm -hmm. And I did collegiate cheer when I was in university. And part of that, they would always do fitness testing yeah. every year. And it was like, how much can you back squat, deadlift? Mm -hmm. How much can you power clean? Like just ridiculous things. Mm -hmm. And that was probably like my first, first introduction to maybe heavier weightlifting. Mm -hmm. Like to actually, prep for that. To yeah, prep for this yeah. Um, and then the movements in cheerleading, like I was a base, are surprisingly similar to weightlifting movements. Hmm. Like they kind of look like a clean and jerk when you're, hmm. when you're propping up a top yeah. or a flyer. And then out of, when I graduated from university, I found CrossFit hmm. eventually, like I think many people do. It's like your little gateway drug yeah. into the strange world of of fitness and CrossFit. Yeah. I was a personal trainer at the time. And oh, I, I remember walking into the gym and just being like slightly, slightly horrified. Mm -hmm. Cause I was like, wow, I've never seen this many people this enthusiastic <laughs> about fitness. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, what is happening here? Yeah. Like how have they done this? Like that was more so I was like, how, how did they get people this excited yeah. about doing exercise and then the type of exercise that they were doing was like torturous mm -hmm. but that was kind of part of the pull yeah. um, and then I think I was only three months into CrossFit and they brought a weightlifting seminar into the gym mm -hmm. and I went to it because I wanted to get better at that movement mm -hmm. and I just loved it. I loved the like the coach that they brought in and like the technical aspect mm -hmm. of it and that I had a I had really enjoyed like physics and biomechanics when I was in kinesiology mm -hmm. and so I could apply that knowledge to like oh like the technical aspects of this is we're actually trying to 
manipulate ourselves around the barbell mm -hmm. using physics and like power and movement and strength. And so that just like, that captured my mind. Yeah. And so I kind of got really just like, what is this? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and so then from there, I just kind of, I don't want to say like obsessed, but yeah, probably yeah. I, I really dove into the technical aspects mm -hmm. of like, how do you weight lift? Yeah. How do you get better? What do I need to do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. This endless cycle when you discover something new that you're passionate about. Um, mm -hmm. How, so, but at that time you were already a personal trainer, mm -hmm. but more in like general fitness, uh, not necessarily CrossFit stuff already. Uh, also in, in, in powerlifting movements or not? Or not yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I, I would say that I had a pretty solid background at that point. Like mm -hmm. when I first entered into the CrossFit, like I was very familiar with deadlift, back yeah. squat, okay. bench, like the mm -hmm. powerlifting movements. I was very familiar with most strength training. Mm -hmm. Like I was, I was more strength leaning yeah. as a personal trainer, strength leaning and movement based. Mm -hmm. So I think I developed my first like flexibility program in 2008. Yeah. So I had been developing movement-based flexibility programs from the very beginning because mm -hmm. it was like, this is how you can actually be a better lifter. Mm -hmm. like that, that's what it was for me. And because I was more strength biased yeah. as, a, as a personal trainer, it, they worked really well together. Mm -hmm. And then when I went into CrossFit, it's kind of that functional training. Like that's kind of what CrossFit is, is like constantly varied functional yeah. training. And... It, the gym that I was at was more strength biased as well. And so it just, it all like the puzzle pieces fit really mm -hmm. well together. And it just kind of continued to influence me in that direction. Yeah. So when you saw, when you discovered uh, weightlifting, you were in kinesio. I'd graduated already. You graduated yeah. already. So yeah, you quickly made the link between, oh, this is needed and mm -hmm. uh, for this as well. Um, how did you, how long did it, <laughs> did it take you to, um, did you coach CrossFit as well? How long did it take I did, you yeah. to, for how, for, sorry, how long did it take you to, from discovering CrossFit and, and Olympic weightlifting and then getting into it uh, professionally as, as a coach? Mm -hmm. I, if you coached, uh, cr um, yeah, I coached at, I, I coached CrossFit full time actually. Like mm -hmm. I actually transitioned, I stopped doing one-on-one -on -one clients because I was coaching mm -hmm. CrossFit classes full time yeah. um, in 2000 and, okay, let me, let me think about this chronological timeline. Mm -hmm. I, I think I joined CrossFit in 2011, okay. the end of 2011. And then by the end of 2012, I was coaching full time. Mm -hmm. um, and then by I think is about 2014 that's when I was like I actually really would prefer to specialize as an Olympic weightlifting coach because mm -hmm. um, I'd already started pursuing the weightlifting coaching yep. modules or whatever and um, then I did a blend of coaching CrossFit classes and coaching weightlifting mm -hmm. classes and yeah. weightlifting um, like technical mm -hmm. stuff and yeah. At, at that point, did you know you wanted to create something around like mobility in that field or, or not much? Like where were you in the, at that point in the vision of like, how did you, yeah. what, what, what were you gonna do? Yeah, so I, um, 
when I started coaching CrossFit, I remember having a discussion with the owner at the time, and he said, you know, what do you think is missing at our gym? Mm. And I said, you know, people having the prerequisites for the movements they're doing. Like most, mm -hmm. most of the people don't have the ability, and there's also no resources for people how mm. to, like, how do they gain the flexibility or mobility to do some of these movements. Yeah. Um, and so we had a discussion about what options would be available. So then I said, I proposed, well, what if I ran classes that were mobility or flexibility that was specifically targeted for strength-based movements? So they're slightly different than, say, yoga in that the way that the routines are structured is so that the person on the other side of it can load that movement. Mm -hmm. Whereas like yoga is all based on the asana practice. There's also a very philosophical and like connectivity and spiritual practice to yoga that isn't as much directed at this is going to make me a better weightlifter. I'm going to be able to lift more load. Um, it's more about like, like an internal reflection. Yeah. And so I was like, how can I adapt what is currently available that most people are doing, which is yoga, mm -hmm. which is great. Not saying that yoga is not great but it wasn't necessarily what lifters yeah. needed. Yeah. It wasn't gonna prime their nervous system so that they could lift the most weight. Mm -hmm. It wasn't going to help facilitate their joints to be more resilient so that it would reduce you know, risk of injury. Mm -hmm. Like there was just things that were missing. And I was like, this is how I would structure it. And this is what I would want to infuse mm -hmm. into people's practice so that ultimately they could lift more weight, be more resilient human beings mm -hmm. and feel better. Because yeah. if, you, if you go into any CrossFit gym, everyone has like a broken shoulder, a hurt back mm. or something that's sore, yeah. but it's because they're pushing themselves really hard. So it's not that CrossFit breaks people, mm -hmm. it's that they don't know how to best support their bodies. Yeah. And so I was like, how can I, how can I create resources for people so that when they're pushing themselves this hard, that there's support on the other side of it. Yeah. Like that was the important part. I was like, I want to support their goals. I don't want to bash their goals. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to, cause I think that that was a lot of what was happening when CrossFit first came out is people were like bashing the terrible mm -hmm. nature of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I was yeah. like, yeah, it is kind of crazy. Yeah. And, and I've never seen this many people this enthusiastic about mm -hmm. fitness. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. is it that bad? Mm. Yeah. No, there's and there's everything, uh, and I mean, I mean, generally speaking, CrossFit itself can't harm anybody if it's done. It's always like how people will use things, right? It's never the thing itself. Absolutely. It's what can, how do you do the yes. thing, and 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 what style of coaching and the approach to the specific thing. Uh, but yeah, CrossFit's been like stigmatized for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but it's part of the. The journey of the the, the thing I, I'd say. Um, so, how did you from that idea, from that thing that you were seeing, because you had a perspective from your your studies? Mm -hmm. um, how from that idea and oh, I see that this is needed. Mm -hmm. uh, did you actually take the step of creating something, a platform? Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I mean that was what quite, made you like made yeah, the, that was quite a journey. So. Um, I started running classes mm -hmm. and they were our classes because that's kind of like a standard in the fitness industry. Mobility like, classes. Yeah, mobility yeah, classes. Right. And they were different and people were appreciative of them. They mm -hmm. were always full. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, 
I mean, like, great success. And I was also getting feedback from people that were already spending two or three hours in the gym. Like maybe they were working on their gymnastic skills, doing a wad, and then they were doing, you know, their post-wad accessory work. And they're like, I just, I can't spend another hour in the gym, Crystal. And they would ask me, like, do you have, like, a couple stretches I can do at home tonight before I go to bed? Or are there some things that I can add to my warm-up that would maybe just add, like, 10 minutes onto it? I just, I can't come to an hour class. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fair. Like, you're spending a lot of time here. How can I make this a better support system for you? Like, that was always my perspective. Was like, how can I best support you? Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, okay... Maybe I can make some like PDFs. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also like the internet was completely different mm-hmm. than what it is <laughs> yeah. today. Yeah. Like, this was 2012? This is like 2013, 2013? 2014. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Me trying to like figure <laughs> out like what could this look like? Yeah. You know, I have no idea. Um, ebooks. Like, yeah, ebook. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I just, I had no idea. Um, and then I can't remember what it was, but I, I must have been watching YouTube. I've always been a big YouTube. YouTube Mm -hmm. consumer and I was like well what if I made videos like what if I made short videos you know 10 minute videos that people could do at home then they would have my voice they would have my like expert Mm -hmm. instruction so and my thought was so they wouldn't get it wrong and like because sometimes a PDF it's like you don't have enough information Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, they wouldn't get it wrong, a video. And then I was like, you know, then it lives forever. It can be rewatched mm-hmm. multiple times if they wanted. I was like, that would be a great idea. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, Kelly Starrett was really big at that time. I don't mm-hmm. know if you... Which one? Kelly Starrett. It, oh, yeah. At the time, yeah, yeah. I think he, it was MWOD, Mobility WOD. Mm-hmm. And now he's ready state. I, I don't know. He made the book, uh, the, the supple like, leopard. The leopard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so he was on YouTube. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was on YouTube, and I was like, okay, I appreciate what he's delivering to the CrossFit community, mm-hmm. and I think I can, I can do that with my own perspective mm-hmm. in maybe a more gentle way. Yeah. Because he's he was like quite aggressive. Mm-hmm. He'd like yell at the camera, and people loved him. Yeah. But I was like. I don't know if I love that. Mm-hmm. So why can't I contribute something, but with a different flavor? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, I think the next the next thing that came out the next year that got really big was Ramwad. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, there's proof of concept, mm-hmm. kind of. Like, that That to me is what that mm-hmm. was. It was like almost a check mark of like, you need to do this. Mm-hmm. And again, though, looking at Ramwad from the outside, I was like, they're just doing yin yoga. Mm. And to me, like, that's what I was trying to impress on the CrossFit and weightlifting community, Mm -hmm. that yoga is maybe not specifically designed for your needs Mm. or or just that, right? Um, And that there's there's a need for yin yoga, but, like, it has purpose and intention behind it. And I would see so many CrossFitters, like almost creating competition of like how deep you could stretch. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's you're missing the point, guys. Yeah. Like that's it. Yeah. it the, yoga's not a competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, again, how can I best support these guys mm-hmm. to give them things that that's going to be impactful, efficient, and and meaningful? Yeah. 
and and less aggressive because that was the big thing that I saw is like all the things that were out there were just as aggressive as yeah. CrossFit or just as aggressive as weightlifting yeah. which is a pretty big intensity but then where's the harmony if you're if your workout is intense and your mobility is intense and your life is intense at some point that person's going to collapse yeah. in on themselves so I was like how again how can I best support people mm. and that means I create something that's not super intense or that I teach them how to balance and harmonize the intensity with some like softness or gentleness yeah. or like here's how you can be kind to your joints so that mm. your joints love you when you're lifting all that weight yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because it's hard to, for crossfitters, you would say it's hard to, um, uh, not understand, but it's, it's hard to do, to contrast high intensity uh, with, with lower intensity, like to, to force yourself to see the value into it. Because when you yes. do crossfit, it's all high intensity and you see the value, you know, yeah. go, go, go. But then it's harder to see the, yes, this will actually support me like you do to um, well, I think have a contrast in the intensity. Many people, and this was both in both sports, right? Like weightlifting and CrossFit, and probably powerlifting. I'll rest when I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've heard that a lot. Yeah, I which, love that. Which, like, from an, an yeah. exercise science perspective, <laughs> and and a and an adaptation perspective, you're missing the point. Yeah. Like rest is when your body actually adapts and your tissue gets stronger. Mm -hmm. And without appropriate rest and recovery, you won't get stronger, you won't get faster, you won't get more powerful. And so it, but that value system is really hard to get people to, yeah. you know, like grab hold of mm -hmm. because they value that intensity or, you know, they're also using their exercise regime as an escape or a, like a coping mechanism mm -hmm. to get away from something. And so they need that intensity to pull them out of whatever yeah. they're trying to escape. Yeah. Um, and so when you say, be gentle, be still, be, be with yourself. Mm -hmm. And they're like, all I'm trying to do is escape myself mm -hmm. because I feel something that I don't want to. Mm -hmm. It, it can be really disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this and probably also just the fact of like feeling something, uh, something intense, something unusual. I, I think I, but well, it's a personal opinion, but CrossFit got really popular, not only because it worked for sure, like on a fitness level, but also because it made people feel something new, different, and gives yeah. that intensity that today it's harder to have if you leave a more of a, like a mundane life, I yes, would say. Yes. And then suddenly, things that make you feel different or intense, uh, I think it's, it's part of the, the success of it. it. It gives you, like, in CrossFit, I would say more, you can literally PR every single day. Mm. You can have something to celebrate almost every single day. And then you also have a community aspect. Mm. You have this, like, accountability aspect you have your coach there there's so many layers of support inside of that yeah. that do give people like a very fulfilling sense 
for exactly what you're like I think that's that is why it is so successful or mm. has been so successful is because it has so many layers that I think a lot of human beings and just by our nature crave mm -hmm. right like we crave yeah. achievement and we crave connection and we crave a sense of accomplishment mm -hmm. um, and maybe we don't always realize that that's what we're craving mm -hmm. but yeah. we maybe like yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So the first ever video with your with the <laughs> mobility movement that you that you did and, and uploaded, how was that? <laughs> were you nervous? Was it was it good? Was it were you happy with it? Um, it was in like 640. 640? Yeah. Oh, 640. Uh, P. I don't even know. Like the quality was so. Oh, 640 P. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, like it doesn't like even exist PM, anymore. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's it. I, I see. So, like the yeah. quality was so poor. Our video quality was so poor because it, again, like it's it's sometimes when I reflect, it's so crazy, a how quickly the internet moves, yeah. but also how quickly technology has adapted for creators. Yeah. At, like when I first started, having equipment like this mm -hmm. was very inaccessible, like very inaccessible. Yeah. And within three years, the accessibility of equipment just skyrocketed. Mm. And I think that was a reflection of social media mm -hmm. and how it was changing, like changing the game of the internet yeah. massively. Um, the first video I ever made, though. <laughs> Sorry, it's so funny. Like, I've, I've, like, okay, so um, I've had so many different mentors throughout my life. I've been coached the majority of my mm -hmm. life and I, it's always been impressed on me to do things before you're ready mm -hmm. and that doing things, imperfect action is, is the best way to move forward. And so the video that I made, it was sloppy and not very professional mm -hmm. and not very good, but it was, it was imperfect action. Mm -hmm. And without that, without me being willing to take that step before I was ready to like to kind of be brave, yeah. uh, I probably would have never produced a video, yeah. and I, I probably wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was a big part of it. Is I had to be willing to be so uncomfortable mm -hmm. with what I was producing that I could keep getting better as I went. Because every video that I did in that year, it went from like absolute garbage to like almost looking like a semi-professional mm -hmm. production. Yeah, like on it, that same year, you think? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. within, within about a year, yeah. when it, it, we got better quick. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our audio, the first video was absolutely terrible. Didn't mm -hmm. even know, really, like I, I don't even think I had a mic. I think I was mm -hmm. just using the mic that was in the camera. Yeah. Um, so by the end of the year, we had, you know, a Rode lapel mic. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, I, I learned about a proper audio and yeah. that, audio was actually probably more important mm -hmm. than the video quality. Yeah. And so then I got, like I had to really learn about, okay, how do I clean up audio? Mm -hmm. So if I don't have the best camera, at least I have some really clean audio. Mm -hmm. And it was really important for me to blend in music. Music is such an important part of that experience yeah. for like rest and recovery. And I wanted that experience to be really enjoyable for mm -hmm. the user. And I was like, where do you find music? I have no clue. I'm like, like, you can't just use 
anyone's music. So yeah. I had to learn the whole like realm of royalty free mm -hmm. music and, and how to do that properly, getting the proper licensing. Yeah. Uh, and so by year two, our second year, I felt a lot more confident in my ability to produce mm -hmm. like a, I would not say professional, but semi-professional quality yeah. video. Yeah. And I think by year two, that's when I actually started properly introducing the video, like saying, hello, welcome mm -hmm. to the movement. My name is Crystal. Yeah. Whereas I think our first video was, okay, starting in tabletop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, uh, that first video. What, what do you think made you, what helped you uh, taking that first step and, and doing that first video despite the the fear and the, 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 the discomfort and, and like not really knowing, like, is there, do you remember like? You, you know what it probably was? I have this like disproportionately um, high sense of justice. Mm -hmm. And I felt that it, we were like within the like CrossFit weightlifting and like strength sports, mm -hmm. We were doing an injustice to all of the athletes by only providing them yoga. Mm -hmm. Like to, I was like, this is, isn't fair. Mm -hmm. These people are working so hard. <laughs> and there's yeah. better things yeah. for them. Like they went that. Like that's what it was to mm -hmm. me. I was like, I, I just, I need to, I need to do this. And it didn't matter how scared I was, mm -hmm. but I was like, I just, it, it, there, there has to be a better way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, um, so really pushed by the 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 the, the, the mission, the mission of, of like mm. providing that. Then yeah, that, the, yeah. that and I also knew because um, like the other the other parts of me were um, I had been working as a research assistant on a research study for it was the quality of life study. Mm -hmm. So it was a long term research um, study for seniors in long-term care homes mm -hmm. to see if daily exercise and socialization improved the quality of their mm -hmm. lives. Shockingly, it did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I got to witness so many people at like the end of their life, kind of, and seeing what their bodies had adapted into and feeling really uncomfortable with the idea that that could be my parents one day mm -hmm. and that you know I would want my parents to still be able to brush their hair or put um, their coat on or put their cardigan on mm -hmm. that they wouldn't they wouldn't get to a point where they lost that ability to have that freedom mm -hmm. to move in their body and And then I was looking at, you know, these two communities that I care deeply about, the strength community and the CrossFit community, and I was like, if they don't have something to help harmonize this and take care of their bodies long term, mm -hmm. they're going to be those people that can't put their arms above their head anymore. They're going to be mm -hmm. those people that have to shuffle down the hallway because they've lost the ability to have dexterity in their feet. And so there, there was also that aspect of like, I, I care about the long-term impacts of people and I want people to be moving happy movers mm -hmm. for as long as they can be because the quality of these people's lives improved significantly with connection and movement. Yeah. 
And so I was like, if these people's lives can improve that much, think about the, like, you know, when you're at, at the early stages of your life and the influence and the ripple that that could have in someone's life. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I have a, a, a really unique skill set mm-hmm. and I should be doing something with it. I should be helping yeah. more. It was kind of like, that was, that was, I would think, important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Did you, on the group of this study was only for like elderly, uh, elderly yeah, people? Yeah, it, it was very specific. It was with the, the health region in the province that I was at. Um, and they were, I can't remember, I was only part, I was only a research assistant. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. only did the intervention. So I went and socialized and walked the seniors for the 16 week interventions. Um, and I was only part of it for, I think, two and a half years mm. before. It was just, it was like a part-time research assistant job while I was a personal mm. trainer. Yeah. Uh, but it was really impactful mm. working with um, that population. Yeah. yeah. There's a, no, because I was going to say there's also the, actually the strength, uh, strength, uh, there's direct co- correlation with strength and uh, longevity. And, and mm-hmm. more, even more recently, I think more specifically with leg strength yep. and longevity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm saying this because I also want to uh, make a little parenthesis on, on uh, strength and uh, women mm-hmm. and with your experience and, and in coaching and everything that, you, that you've done, do you find that it evolved from the moment you, you started to now and, and what can be today still the, the, the barriers mm-hmm. that uh, women can have or face that prevents them to access this, which is um, a super important point, especially for, for women. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that's a on different aspect. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Specifically women and strength sports. Why is that important? So I think initially I, I entered the strength world uh, because of a sports injury. Mm -hmm. And my value system was heavily influenced by the physiotherapist that I was seeing at that time. And luckily he gave me that long-term thinking, Mm. right? Like Mm -hmm. I was very blessed that he had that, like, and that he impressed that upon me. And because I think if I hadn't had that experience if I hadn't had that very like a unique experience, it was a traumatic experience, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it was it was yeah. it uniquely influenced my perspective and value mm-hmm. system. But a lot of friends that I had, a lot of girlfriends specifically, when I would go to the gym with them, the important aspect for them, the thing that they valued was the aesthetics. How is this going to make me look? Mm-hmm. I want to look better. I want to transform my body. And it's usually I want to make my body smaller, as small as I possibly can. That was a really big, important part, um, which is hard if you want to get stronger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like really hard if you want to be strong and you want to be tiny. Those, those things are kind of like they work against each other. Mm-hmm. And I find that even me as a personal trainer, when I first entered the personal training world, it was about helping with weight loss. Mm-hmm. And now it's about helping people be lifelong movers. Mm-hmm. Like it, it has massively switched uh, for me. And part of that was is people, 
they came in wanting to lose weight, right? Mm -hmm. Often women do, like, I want to lose weight. But when you, when you interview them a little bit more into how come, like what's underneath that mm -hmm. weight loss goal, there's usually a goal of wanting to feel comfortable or confident, mm -hmm. wanting freedom and autonomy, like maybe they didn't feel free to wear the clothes that they wanted to, or they didn't feel free to do certain activities with their children mm -hmm. because they felt like they, it, was, it was too hard for them. And so as I worked as a personal trainer, I got a, a deeper understanding of like what was actually motivating people versus what they were saying they wanted. Mm -hmm. yeah. And getting to that like deeper why I found that people were way more motivated to come into the gym to see me mm. every day or three days a week or whatever than if it was just for weight loss. Mm. You know, that that's very surface aesthetic. There's nothing wrong with that goal, yeah. but that's usually not what people are really truly mm. wanting. And there's also the aspect of like, so many women hate their bodies mm. and they use exercise as a way to um, like beat themselves up. Mm -hmm. why, why do you think so many women hate their, their bodies today? I think women are very vulnerable mm. in a world that is not very, not very friendly. Mm -hmm. Like the world's not a super mm. friendly place. Mm. And that's either I'm, I'm saying that like a, as a female that lives in Canada. Mm -hmm. So I'm in a really like privileged position, yeah. you know, like I, I don't see nearly as much as the unfriendly world as there actually is. Yeah. Um, but we're, I would say, a, a, we're in a more vulnerable position. We're, we're socialized in, in such a different way to mm -hmm. value our body at more than anything else. Mm -hmm. and that our body will be objectified th through every aspect of our life. Mm -hmm. So wh whether you're a little girl or you're going through your teenage years, which are the worst <laughs> years mm -hmm. ever to go through as a girl, it's there's always there's this undertone of objectifying, of you being objectified mm -hmm. and you having to protect yourself mm -hmm. because the world's not going to protect you. And so there's this like control aspect of like, okay, I have to control my body mm -hmm. so that I can either be as safe as possible or that I can like, you know, be seen in a very specific way to not be objectified yeah. or, you know, attacked for whatever mm -hmm. reason, right? Um, and I've like, I've seen that for myself too. I've been trying to share, you know, meaningful movement and meaningful routines for the last five years, probably six years before that, uh, on social media. Mm -hmm. And social media is like a, it's a terrible place because people feel very entitled to sh say whatever they want about the person that they're mm -hmm. watching a video of. Some people are very kind, some yeah. people are very encouraging, and there's other people that are just really mean yeah uh, and if I cared more about what those mean people were saying 
if I was maybe younger, if, if I was maybe in that stage where I was more influenced by other people's opinions, mm-hmm. that would be really hard. Like, I, I know that there was a point in my life where those comments would have just hit me like bullets mm-hmm. and that I would have really struggled to, like, process that comment in, a, in an effective way that it yeah. didn't. So, I don't know. There's, there's so many things that, yeah. that would lead women to hate their bodies mm-hmm. that, it, I mean, it makes me kind of sad, honestly. Like, the, that that's a reality. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's... Um I do think that it's a, it's a work in progress and we need to really zoom out completely and see where we're, mm-hmm. where we're coming from to really see the, the, the thing. But, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting point of view, especially for a man that we don't, we don't think about the same thing. We're not exposed with the same thing. And in both sides, we have our own like difficulties about different, different things. And, and, um, and yeah, it's um, it's it's um, it's I think to come back to the the, the strength and like the the, the, the fitness, um, it's a good way to uh, fight this a little bit. Mm-hmm. And if anything that CrossFit did, I found was really good for for women is that shown that women can be uh, and are um, really strong and, and in many ways mm-hmm. in many cases stronger than, than men and like the, the, the balance with uh, the place of, of strength in both men and women mm-hmm. got more um, harmonized through through cross, crossfit and, and strength uh, sports I, I found and um, how do you think uh, this impact maybe you personally or all the people that you coached and, and you, you saw uh, more on the women's side mm-hmm. um, in terms of, of confidence and in terms of approaching um, today's life, today's, um, uh, how did you say today's, uh, uh, not dangerous world, uh, but no, you said something, you said, uh, about the word, the word, yeah, I don't remember uh, what words I today's, used. um, I'll say unfriend, no, unfriendly, unfriendly, I think you say. yeah, uh, how, how does this, you know, impact like a woman's confidence? Uh, yeah, I, I'll speak from my personal experience. Mm-hmm because I came, I came from a sporting background, also came from like dance and, and cheer, and the dance and cheer world was very much about how small your body could be. Mm-hmm. And then when I like went into the CrossFit world, it was like, how much can you back squat? <laughs> yeah. Both extremes. Right, yeah, it was yeah. very, and it was like, it was a huge contrast. And in, in the cheer world, it, again, it was like, can you fit into the smallest outfit? Can you be the tiniest that you possibly can be? Then you'd go over to like CrossFit and it was like, oh, Crystal, like, you have such big, strong legs. Whereas if that was said to you in the dance or cheer world, you have such big legs. Mm. It was a, it, there was a negative undertone to yeah. it. And then the CrossFit world is like, you have such big, strong legs. I remember the first time someone said that to me mm-hmm. and I was upset. Like I was like, oh no, like someone has seen my big legs, but they were like, they were genuinely complimenting me. Mm -hmm. And it took, like, I did not know how to process that information. Mm -hmm. And, but then I actually started looking at, at the other women in the gym and noticing like how strong they were and how it wasn't necessarily how important it, like the aesthetics but it was more about performance. Like, what can my body, what's my body capable of doing? Mm. 
And that was a really cool shift for me personally because as much as I cared about being strong for like my knee and my rehab and lifelong, I also cared a lot about like what I looked like. I wanted to be very tiny and small, but I'm like a very short, sturdy girl. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I'm sturdy. I've always been sturdy. Mm -hmm. And so that makes me a good lifter. Right, it made me a really good lifter, but it made me a terrible cheerleader. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, I wasn't that, you know. Uh, And so it gave me this opportunity to like actually embrace Mm -hmm. my body and what it had naturally had was always there, which was I was always strong and I was always powerful, Mm -hmm. but I always saw it as a negative before because Mm -hmm. that strength came with like girth and 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 thickness, right? And so in this community, there's a huge appreciation for it. Mm -hmm. And with that appreciation, it gave me the opportunity to learn to appreciate it through other people's appreciation. And that definitely helped me view my body in a very different way Mm -hmm. and view exercise in a very different way for myself and my own confidence, like to believe that I'm like, I'm strong mentally, emotionally, and physically. I didn't have that. I didn't have, I didn't have that belief system going into CrossFit or going into weightlifting, um, or to believe that I could be powerful, did not have that at all. Um, or believing that I could accomplish something that's really hard, like a max attempt, mm-hmm. you know? Like doing, like ha- like being faced with things like that just gave me such a different appreciation for my body mm-hmm. that I had never had before, right? like ever. And that was, I would say that's like priceless, absolutely. And did this, how, this, how did this translate in, in your, your day-to-day life with things that you could name or? Like, did, do you feel like this had an impact, like, beyond uh, your confidence in the gym lifting weights mm-hmm. for your, for approaching the, this unfriendly world? Yeah, I don't yeah. think I would have ever filmed a video mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and put it on the internet mm-hmm. without believing that I was strong yeah interesting Uh, you know i don't think i would have ever taken some of those imperfect steps that i did to to produce the content that i have i don't think i would have ever believed that it had worth or value Mm -hmm. and so i think that it translated in so many ways but i think a big part of it was my willingness to show up in the world and be seen Mm -hmm. because for myself for a lot of my life, I was either trying to be as small as I possibly could be, take up as little space as possible, or just trying to hide and conceal my body. Mm-hmm. And if you can't really do that if you're filming yourself and then putting it into the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't, you can't really hide. Yeah. And so with that new appreciation for like, oh, I'm, I am strong, I am capable, I am really powerful, it, it, I think it definitely gave me a, a much better foundation for my willingness to take that imperfect action to, mm-hmm. to be seen, if that makes, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
what would you say today to um, more like teenagers, I would say, teenage, uh, teenage girls that are kind of like navigating, I mean, or may maybe even like teenagers, all teenagers that are navigating in that this today's world where they're influencing, they're being, sorry, influenced all over and with the, the presence of now social media where you can see really everything and anything. Mm -hmm. What would you say with your experience and um, that in terms of advice, like how would you approach uh, fitness today and, and what a young person should approach, uh, how a young person should approach fitness and the, relation the relationship with their body mm -hmm. um, in um, in a healthy, healthy way, and and in a way that can like um, stand out and stand in mm -hmm. this crowd of like all all the, the stuff that they're seeing and that they're, um, you know, like you were talking about the fact that you would have been like literally hurt if like people would have like tell you things like how today do you think you know. Teenagers should, should, should approach that. Does the question make sense? Yeah, the yeah. question makes sense. Um, it's, a, it's a big question. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a really big question. And it's, I think, an important question, yeah. too. Mm -hmm. And I, will, I, did a, I, I spoke at a, a teen empowerment oh, workshop. Cool. Yeah, nice. And I think there was 12 girls there ranging from... I think it was 12 to 16. Mm -hmm. So they're right at that like teenager level. And I remember those years for myself, they were like very hard, very mm -hmm. challenging. Your body is changing so much. It's so tumultuous internally. Mm -hmm. It's very tumultuous externally. And I didn't even, there was no social media when I was that age. Mm -hmm. That didn't exist until I was in university. And so I'm like, how am I going to present to these girls about self-love? Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily have the same lived experience as them. And so all I can really do is try to listen. Like, mm -hmm. What is your lived experience like with social media? And how is that impacting you? And again, how can I best support you? You know, here's all the knowledge that I have around self-love and how strength training can be a really great source of confidence mm -hmm. and strength and, and seeing your body as capable. And I don't necessarily know what your life is like. And so we had a really cool discussion where I introduced the concept of self-love and how many of us have a lot of conditions mm -hmm. on ourselves and that many of those conditions begin at a younger age and then they ripple out into our life. Mm -hmm. And those conditions that we place on ourselves are usually a result of the environment that we're nurtured in. And many of us are nurtured in the same environment society mm -hmm. that doesn't overwhelmingly embrace the emotionality that it is to go through being a teenager. It's a very emotionally volatile environment yeah. as you're going through those teenage years. And usually you'll see parents, practitioners, friends 
having a really hard time holding space for big emotions. And then those big emotions get characterized as bad or good. Mm -hmm. And then we condition ourselves in that if I feel bad emotions, I can't love that aspect of me. I can only love the aspects of me that are positive mm -hmm. emotions. Mm -hmm. And then that is what leads to a lot of maladaptive coping mechanisms, mm -hmm. is this need to suppress the bad emotions because that means something bad about me. Yeah. And so as I'm introducing this and saying, you know, because exercise can be a really great thing. Strength training can be a really great thing. It, it can be amazing when used in a very like helpful way, mm -hmm. but it can also be abused yeah. like anything else. Mm -hmm. And so it's like making sure that I, I kind of laid the foundation. There are no bad emotions. They're just really uncomfortable ones. Mm -hmm. And the only thing bad about our emotional experience is the labels that we attach to them. Yeah. And so, you know, feeling anxiety or sadness or anger are usually seen in society as that's inappropriate. Mm -hmm. You like don't bring that here. Mm -hmm. Right? Those are usually the emotions though that we need the most support and love around. Mm -hmm. That's where we actually need to be held. And so many like teenage girls, myself included, mm -hmm. would self-isolate. Mm -hmm. Anytime I felt those big feelings, I would, I would withdraw socially. I would go into my room. I'd become very like introverted. Mm -hmm. And now knowing my, like, you know, being an adult and having a deeper understanding is like, that's actually when I needed connection the most. And I needed a, people around me to say like, you're still lovable. Even if you feel anxious, yeah. you're still, we, we still love you, Crystal, even if you're sad. Because that's when you need support, is when you're feeling those big emotions. Yeah. But we decide, like I decided on my own, and based on the environment that I was in, that that's not okay for me to feel, so I can't, I can't love that part of me. I can't let that part of me be seen. Yeah. And, and then trying to get these girls, you know, like, do you know what unconditional love is? And they're like, well, that's when you love something no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, so then why do we place so many conditions on ourselves? Why can we extend that to our friends? You know, no matter what, I'll love you no matter what. Why can we extend that to our animals or our parents? Mm -hmm. But we place so many conditions on ourselves. Like, I can't, you know, wear this outfit unless I look like this. Mm -hmm. That's a condition of love or affection that we could give to ourselves, but we won't because we haven't, we don't have this. Mm -hmm. And then we had a really interesting discussion. I, I kind of opened up the floor to them and say, what are you guys struggling with socially that maybe I don't know because I didn't have social media at the time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is, is that exactly what I talked about, things that don't really penetrate me because mm -hmm. I wasn't at that vulnerable age with comments, but they are and they see comments and kids are vicious oh yeah like they're super vicious mm -hmm. but it's because they're in a really emotionally volatile mm -hmm. environment internally externally whatever because their body's changing their hormones are changing they're so like their life is changing so drastically they're going through a lot of transitions mm -hmm. 
anyone going through that many transitions would be emotionally volatile, like let's be honest. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but that usually it comes out as acting out, lashing out at other people. Yeah. And these girls were so open and sweet mm -hmm. and like we had such a wonderful discussion about it. And I think I learned more from them through this mm. discussion than I, you know, than I was presenting about the unique challenges that these girls were facing. And that part of it was is these comments that they would see online were almost like tiny little micro conditions, right? Like that's a part of you that you can't love. That's a part of you that you can't like show the world. That's mm. a part of you that, that no one wants to see. Mm. And then it gets internalized and it really lands inside of them, and then it morphs into something yeah. where a big theme that we all took out of it is they were so, um, they were afraid of the cancel culture. Mm -hmm. like that was a big fear that they all held. Like therapy, you mean? Like talking about the things? Or um, like, well, we were, like they were talking about, like if I do one bad thing online, mm that I'm going to be canceled and it's going to ruin the rest of my life. Oh, the cancel, uh, I yeah. heard cancel, yeah. okay, cancel therapy. Yeah, 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 okay, I see, yeah. yeah. Lots of fear around that. There was a big mm -hmm. fear. Mm -hmm. I never had that experience mm -hmm. in my teenage years, yeah. ever. And so we did some really interest, like we did some really interesting exercises around like things that we can do to help them not internalize that so much, mm -hmm. but also that is like a work in progress for them. Mm -hmm. Like helping them to understand that when you're feeling those big feelings or if you're feeling hurt by those comments, to choose connection over isolation, that that's actually when you really deserve support. Mm -hmm. Like that was a really big thing that I wanted to impress on them. It's like that's when you can go to your CrossFit gym or go strength train with your training partner or a coach and let them know that you're there because you're having a hard time so that you can have a point of connection and support yeah. and that you're reinforcing to your, your body, your mind, your soul, whatever is in there that you deserve to be supported even if you're hurting, even if you're sad, even if, mm -hmm. you know, whatever said emotion is yeah. there. So yeah. I think that if I could do anything for the teenagers, letting yeah. them know that your emotional experience is not bad. There's nothing inherently bad about big emotions, but they are really uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> like they are. Yeah. 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 It's, it's understanding that being uncomfortable is not necessarily bad. Basically. Yeah. yeah. It's more necessary than anything else. Yeah. And I think actually even through strength training you learn that a lot you mm. don't get stronger unless you're willing to be uncomfortable yeah right yeah. and so the that that lesson does translate into being willing to feel big emotions gives you a larger capacity to hold space for big emotions mm. whereas many people think if i feel this feeling i'm going to be stuck there forever and i'm, I'm just going to go into a di downward spiral mm -hmm. Right, it's the meaning that they attach to the experience, yeah. not the experience itself. Right, and so just that that slight shift in perspective, that if you're willing to safely and kindly and compassionately 
allow your emotional experience to be what it is, mm-hmm. it, they, the emotions move quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And they, like, it just gives us more resilience mm-hmm. and more capacity. But when we sit there and we suppress them heavily or we distract from them or escape from them, they don't have anywhere to go and they just stay inside of us. Mm-hmm. They don't get to move. They don't get to exist and, and just be what they are. And they just they turn into stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope there's not one that's going like yeah, to come all the way through. <laughs> um, um, I was going to start something there. I'll just have maybe one, one more thing before we, we switch. Why do you think we are repressed? And I'm saying this because also, you also know you, you, you are a counselor too. Mm-hmm. So why do you think um, today like people are, are feeling that they need to repress these things? What is it, what is it today that makes us want to um, repress what, what we're feeling? What is it that you know, makes us want to hide things? Why, why are we feeling the need of, of doing this? Where does that come from? You're it's such a, big questions. <laughs> You're such a big... Like, I really appreciate your question. It's, it's just your, your, to have yeah. your point of view on that. Yeah. With your, your, I mean, I like... You're, I, so, I know that it comes from, it's a, um, let me make sure that I say this. Yeah, for sure. It's, a, it's so this is going to be based off of um, a little bit of the family systems mm-hmm. um, stuff that I learned in, in school, and Our, our, our family system is the environment that we're nurtured in. Mm-hmm. And our primary caretaker, when we're an infant child and going through our growth and development, is who attunes our nervous system. And our nervous system is always seeking a felt sense of safety mm-hmm. or consistency or reliability. Mm-hmm. And we adapt quite quickly. Our nervous system will adapt quite quickly, especially when we're children. And we'll attune and adapt quite quickly to our primary caretakers and our like nuclear family system. Mm-hmm. But our family system is also influenced generationally. And so we don't always realize what our family system is carrying and what's being carried inside of ourselves um, until we get really curious about observing why our family does things the way that it does. Mm-hmm. And, and usually, like one of the hardest things for humans is loss. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, grieving comes with basically all, all of the emotions and all of the really hard emotions. Mm-hmm. And usually, like, Loss is a hard thing to understand and conceptualize for a lot of humans. And so we will try to develop rules 
unconscious rules, unsaid rules, to try to avoid loss mm -hmm. at all cost. Mm -hmm. And so an, an easy example would be, if I never get close or vulnerable and share my heart with someone, then no one can hurt it because mm -hmm. I've never shared it, mm -hmm. right? It's a, it's, a, it's a way to keep that loss from happening, but at what cost, right? Mm -hmm. Like it comes at a pretty big cost. Yeah. If you never share your heart, if you never get close, uh, and that can be emotional closeness, that could be physical closeness, it could be mm -hmm. any kind of closeness, then you never have to experience the loss. Mm -hmm. But then you never get to experience the closeness, mm -hmm. right? And, and so, but in, in a way, if you've never had the closeness, then you don't know what you're losing, mm -hmm. right? And, yeah. and so it's, but that could have been from like three generations previous. There was maybe a really big loss mm -hmm. in the family. And then it morphed into, okay, well, we don't feel grief that way, or we don't share our heart that way, or that's not how our family does that thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't, we don't, we keep our cards close to our chest. That's what, mm -hmm. that's what we do as a family. Mm -hmm. And so you, you pick up on these things as a child, you attune yourself to, oh, this is how I stay safe. This is how I stay in the family because the family keeps me safe. Mm -hmm. And then when you, then when you go out into the world and you're like, why isn't everyone following the rules? Because mm -hmm. everyone's family has different rules, right? And so people have different modes and different mechanisms of ways that they're trying to keep themselves safe. Yeah. Yeah. Is that? Yeah, yeah. Do you think yeah. that no, answers really your question? Uh, perspective, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, very interesting. Um, and so, I mean, it, it, so it's really to, to, to keep ourselves safe, but then, then the thing is like, what, what are we, what are we, Fearing really, uh, is it just something that's about fearing like external judgment? They, they, does everything comes to to this? How are we going to be perceived in in the society? How it's all about. It depends what of, it depends what the value system is mm. of the. I would say of the family. Mm. So some people really value perception and status. Mm. Other people will value. Um, like material objects, like there, it, it, there's, there's so many different value systems and family, I keep hitting that, sorry, um, and families will value different things mm -hmm. and that will influence our value system yeah. unless we examine our value system and say, do I actually want that value system or what is my value system? Mm -hmm. So usually we just, we just pick up the value system that our family instilled in us mm -hmm. and then we just move forward in life. And so that that value system will heavily influence what we're what we're most afraid of mm -hmm. and then i mean there's obviously like adverse childhood experiences mm -hmm. traumatic experiences yeah. when we experience trauma and and trauma is not always a big event mm -hmm. it's not always like a big car crash it's not always like the things that many people think of yeah. when they think of trauma um, emotional neglect can be one of the most impactful traumatic experiences for children, mm -hmm. which is something as simple as don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah. That's emotionally neglecting the needs of the child mm -hmm. 
and the ripple effect that it has for that child to know in that moment that I'm not going to ever be met here, so I can't feel those big feelings, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That can be really traumatic. And then it's like, I don't ever want to share a moment with anyone that I'm close to that I might like start crying mm-hmm. because then they might give me something real to cry about, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it ripples out. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're a very guarded human in your adult life. You're with your partner you really want to be close, you really want to love and share connection, but part of that connection might be you're feeling really sad, mm-hmm. and it just brings you back to that moment, and that you're the child that still exists inside of you that was crying back then mm-hmm. is like, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't you dare. Like, don't. And unless you've had a chance to understand where that came from it's really hard for humans to like get themselves past that Mm. like it's so hard yeah yeah Mm. is that yeah yeah yeah, Yeah, answers the question i i hope because i believe uh, uh, um, the fact that a lot of people repress their emotions it's actually the root and the source of a lot of, of issues, a lot of, of uh, um, not necessarily issues, but a lot of, of pain and suffering in, in our mm-hmm. daily, daily lives that we don't even, and we don't even know, and a lot of people are not even aware of that, not even aware that they repress it. It's very unconscious because like you said, it comes from really the root of the family and how we were raised and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I truly hope we, we go towards something where it's more open and we, we kind of like let these things circulate more. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the, there's, there's, this, there's that quote that's like, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Yeah. And to me, it's like that pain is the uncomfortable emotion. Mm-hmm. The suffering is trying to repress Mm. the uncomfortable emotion because when we try to suppress it, it lives inside of us. It adapts inside Mm. of us. It it like transmutes and tries to get Mm. out. Mm -hmm. And, and that is what like from my perspective, what I've seen that leads to a lot of suffering. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's tough. It's tough being a human. Yeah. It's so tough. Part of the game. Yeah. Um, let's. Uh, so you are starting to put out videos mm-hmm. about mobility. Did you create the name and everything first? The name, yeah. How? Uh-huh. I guess the question was: uh, At what point, from you started and you put that first video, mm-hmm. to you, you were like, okay, I'm going to turn it into. Like a brand, something, something. Mm-hmm. It's by itself. Um, in the yeah, the journey. So I, I knew it was going to be called movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I think that the actual business name is Mobility Movement International or something mm-hmm. like the registered business name or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, the the movement aspect of it was the most important part mm-hmm. to me. That and it, at the time, like I'm like I was so young. No, um, didn't really fully understand what what I was getting myself into in any way. Mm-hmm. But I really wanted there to be a movement, you know, that people would join this movement mm-hmm. around moving their body, 
so that they could move with like it like the word move just like I like it was in everything like it was such an important part of it and I knew it then but I didn't have the language for it I also wanted to help people with moving their emotions and getting some of the emotional like experiences unstuck right like creating movement there because our body holds it when it doesn't get an expression Mm -hmm. And it usually turns into some kind of like tension or yeah. pain, suffering, mm-hmm. right? And um, I think the very first video that I made, I put a little intro screen with movement, MV, MVMNT. And the reason I spelt it MVMNT is because the whole word wouldn't fit very well. Mm-hmm. And so I just removed the vowels. <laughs> yeah. and, and then I was like, oh, that looks kind of cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and, and it was basically from that, that point forward, it was like, how do I turn this into an online resource so that people can access it, Mm -hmm. um, in a easy way? Yeah. And how can I, how can I, how can I get out there? How can I make this a real thing? A lot of it was just like stumbling forward. That's what it felt like. Cause I was not. I, all of my education was either in exercise science, sports psychology, or counseling psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any education in business, mm-hmm. and I would never pretend like I was like some business yeah. anything. And so a lot of the business stuff felt very like just, just stumbling forward. Yeah. I got a business mentor as quickly as I could, because mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know anything. I know nothing. Please help me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> help. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I've had three different business mentors along the way mm-hmm. that have been incredibly helpful. And I can also understand and appreciate that if I had any education in business, it probably would have helped me mm-hmm. as well. But it wouldn't have helped me in what my expertise is. Yeah. So um, lots of stumbling forward. Mm-hmm. and and just adapting as quickly as I could mm-hmm. and this relentless pursuit of of helping people uh, better yeah you know how can I help people better than what's available yeah what was the the hardest thing for you was the business aspect of, of that mm-hmm. yeah yeah the I think the mm, that's a business for sure. Like the business side of it was was really challenging for me, um, and being alone was really hard. It, mm-hmm. I was an entrepreneur for the first three years, like solopreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have a, a team. <laughs> I didn't have. Uh, I didn't have a Jen. I didn't have a, a Val. I didn't, you know, I didn't have yeah. really. All I had was, you know, my family. Mm-hmm. But my family all had relatively traditional jobs. Other than my mom, she started her own. She started her own business, but hers was pretty well established at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was one of the people that I would often go to for questions about what do you you know what did you do when you were trying to do this but her business was in a completely different field it was not an online business and the online game was 
it was it was so fast paced mm. and it was it changed so quickly mm. that the moment I felt like I had caught up, like literally the next day, I was like, ah, I'm three years behind mm. again. Like it, mm. that was really hard for me to like. I just always felt like I just couldn't keep up mm. to the other people that were coming out, and it was it was moving so fast. Yeah. And I was just this like solo female, like trying to run as quickly as yeah. everyone else. And that felt really hard at the mm -hmm. beginning. Were you doing something else as well? Or was it directly like your full-time thing? I, yeah, so I was working, I, when I started mm -hmm. movement, I had just graduated from my counseling psych psychotherapy mm -hmm. program. I was starting my counseling practice. Mm -hmm. I was still working as a personal trainer yeah. uh, and, st and starting okay, yeah. movement. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of different things at the same time. Mm. And it wasn't, it did not give me the ability to be full-time in movement. Yeah. It, was a, it was a startup company. Um, and it took me until 2022 before I could commit my full-time effort okay. to okay. it. Okay. Um, so you did it, oh no, because you started in 2018, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so four years to, to get just on that. Yeah. Um, what was the, what was the best part of building it? Like the thing that stand out of the, the past five years with this, like the, the most memorable moment or pleasant moment now that you look back five years on that? Um, I think it's that even if I've like put a drop into the ocean, because that's mm -hmm. kind of what it feels like sometimes is you're putting yeah. just, a, just like a teardrop into the ocean that I know that that teardrop has had even if it is small, a ripple. Mm -hmm. um, and that I have positively impacted people's perspective on viewing um, how, to, how to take care of their bodies mm -hmm. and how to take care of the whole human. Mm -hmm. Like that's always been really important to me is like, let's not just care for your tissue, let's care for the whole human that's mm -hmm. there. And how can we best support that that human being? And I know that I, you know, I could probably conf confidently say that now, even two years ago, I don't know if I would have been able to confidently say that. Mm -hmm. But I definitely know that there's there's been an impact, and that I I I can see my influence, mm -hmm. and I can see that even that there's an openness to people wanting to value rest and recovery mm -hmm. like that was what was most important to me is i was like i would love to have people value rest mm -hmm. yeah you know that that they can see that the rest is a really crucial part of their mm -hmm. adaptation to getting stronger or more powerful or whatever their goal is yeah. and that rest is a productive part of that mm -hmm. and that we can stop demonizing rest yeah totally <laughs> it's a terrible thing yeah <laughs> Because um, you, you've been adding uh, adding um, more meditation and, and mm -hmm. breath work and things like that lately, uh, do you find it do you find it hard to? Because 
Well, I mean, now maybe your community is, is, is on a wider spectrum than just like CrossFitters or, or mm -hmm. weightlifters, but how do you find um, putting that type of, of people, like the more the high intensity uh, strength people into uh, meditation, something hard, like how was it seen on, on your, your side, how did it... Um... Yeah, it's not an easy transition, yeah. <laughs> that's not, it's really hard to ask high intensity people to mm -hmm. chill, yeah. essentially. And so it's like, how can I find something that they value yeah. and say that it will help that? And so the one thing that I know that it helps with is sleep, sleep quality mm -hmm. and the ability to fall asleep and get a restful sleep. And that is a value system that I think that that community does value is they know that sleep is good. Yeah. So if I can help them understand, hey, if you do this for 10 minutes, a day, it can actually help you fall asleep faster. It can actually help you uh, get a more restful sleep. Yeah. And that seems to, they, there's a connection point mm, there. That's the trick. But there was friction for me, because at first I was like, how do you guys not know that this will help? Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they didn't. So I was like, that's your job, <laughs> yeah. Crystal, to educate them yeah. on why this will help them. Mm -hmm. And so that, that for me, I was like, okay, I know why it does because I have this knowledge and expertise. They don't necessarily, maybe some of them do, but they, they're not doing it because maybe they don't understand that that will help them with this. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of it has been delivering the meditations, the guided meditations, delivering the like non-sleep, deep rest um, mm -hmm. routines, and also then giving them some education and value system of why they might want to incorporate this. Because yeah. when people have, when they're bought in, they're so much more likely to put it into their own routine and have some, some responsibility in that, okay, I want this part, so I know that I have to do this. Mm -hmm. And that educational piece, I think, has been an important part for me to try to communicate to our members and people outside mm -hmm. Of our like of outside of the movement community, of how we're kind of different, mm -hmm. in that we're trying to care for the whole human being. Yeah. Like I'm not just caring about your joint distraction, mm -hmm. but I do care about your joint distraction. Mm -hmm. But I also care about the joint distraction and the safety that we create within your nervous system, so that you can translate that all to your lift. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's there's so many more facets to me that I've struggled to communicate, yeah. but that I know that I'm starting to do a better job of. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's the, um, like to have the whole, like you need to play with, and, with all aspects, right, of things. Um, how do you think, because I know you're also doing um, your painting, right? You're doing, you have a, yeah, I, an yeah, artistic... I do, yeah, uh, I do artistic stuff. Uh, side. How do you... Because I found like everything that is uh, not necessarily business, but sport, let's say uh, fitness, it's going to be very repetitive and it's going to not necessarily <laughs> require the, the creative part of your brain, right? Mm -hmm. is you can just, we say, you can just like turn your brain off and just slam weights. Mm -hmm. Not all the time the case, but it's more like an... Um, you're not being very cre creative when you're going to follow a protocol and just made a, a training, right? You would agree with that, mm -hmm. right? 
Mm -hmm. I'd say most people would agree with that. Uh, so we, we were doing one type of things, we're using one type of uh, a part of our brain. Um, and when we do creative things, we're in something else, right? There's more freedom, there's more flow. It's, it's a very different aspect of activity. Mm -hmm. um, do you find that having this in your life, like create a contrast that makes you appreciate more other parts or is it something that just, um, is it, do you feel like it gives you a better, um, a very better approach and of, of all other aspects of your life, like business-wise, fitness-wise. Uh, my my question is how do you? <laughs> because the questions are often the question is more how do you find and how important it, it is for the whole human to have like to do different things and have uh, contrast on the intensity, mm -hmm. the, the the rest, mm -hmm. the, the creative, the flowing, and the really the just a one plus one equal two. Mm -hmm. uh, you know what I mean? So, so how is it something that? Yeah. How does how does how does my artistic and creative side influence? Yes, exactly. The other side yeah. of me. Um, I think that a lot of a lot of athletes and artists mm -hmm. might actually have more similarities than than differences. Actually, mm -hmm. um, that flow state that you're talking about, that mm -hmm. creative flow state, I think is is experienced by a lot of athletes at a high level mm -hmm. of performance, you have that flow state yeah. as well. And whether you're an artist or an athlete, when you're in that flow state, that's usually when you're performing the best. So whether you're creating something mm -hmm. or you're performing like your athletic endeavor, getting into that state is how you know that you're getting into your zone. Mm -hmm. And I think because I've always had those two things, like art and gym have always been present in my life. Mm -hmm. And I've, those have always been two areas that I've just excelled at. Mm -hmm. Like naturally, like artistic endeavors have always just been something that just they, they came to me. Yeah. Did I practice them? Yes, I did. <laughs> And then same with athletics. Did I have some like natural stuff there that, that made it easier? Mm -hmm. Yes. Did I also have to practice? Yeah. Yes. That, that flow state though, I think is what draws me to both creative and athletic endeavors. Mm -hmm. And I also think it gives me an opportunity to create something really unique too. Mm -hmm. I, was talk I was saying to Jen last night that I think I can't remember exactly what her question was, but she was like, what are, you know, like, how do you see movement in a couple of years? Mm -hmm. And I was describing to her that the movement experience being like almost like a 360 experience that can be something that humans can fully immerse themselves in. That it's more about the experience that I create for them. Mm -hmm. Almost this like whole support system of like audio visual, like, you know, experience. Mm -hmm where they get to immerse themselves in rest or care or restoration. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that when I'm describing this, it's mm -hmm. very like a creative mm -hmm. piece for me. Yeah. And I haven't quite figured out how I'm going to translate that into the logical business <laughs> world. Mm -hmm. But it, it's like you can tell there's like a vision and I needed that creativity, that like artistic side 
to be able to eventually pull it into reality. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think it's probably the, one of the best qualities that I have. And it also, it, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time, because I can have such a vast creative mind. I can go off yeah. <laughs> so many different directions yeah. too. So I don't know. Yeah, no, totally. Well, it, it, what it, it, it gives it um, your unique uh, perspective and your unique approach and, and touch uh, on that and also that you have like these different things between uh, uh, counseling and, 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 and personal training and kinesiology. 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 Oh, it's, it's the hardest word to say. It is me. the worst word, yeah. Um, <laughs> it gives you, yeah, that, that unique approach that is, that is interesting and that's going to resonate with a certain uh, type of people and, and things like that. So it's, um, it's always nice to see that, that mm -hmm. type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, what today, so you were, you kind of, you were kind of saying this, um, where do you see this, this going? Where... Um, You know, I guess before this, I'm going to ask this. How do you think uh, movement and, and self-care um, improve, uh, not necessarily for, for the athletes, but for anybody, mm -hmm. uh, is going to be a beneficial thing and something that's worth leaning in, uh, even if you're not doing any kind of like really intensive sports or, or, mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, how movement is, is going to impact and for the better your, your, uh, your entire life and at whatever stage you, you, mm -hmm. you are? Well, our, our bodies are the vehicle that we move through life with. Mm -hmm. And it's an analogy that I've used as a personal trainer, but it, it's, it's very relevant that it is shocking the number of people that know how to take care of their car better than they know how to take care of their body. <laughs> they know the ins and outs of their car. They, mm -hmm. they, they get their oil changed. They get, mm -hmm. like, they do, they, and they, and they deeply care about yeah. their cars. Like, when you talk to a car person, like, they care. <laughs> and, like, you know, that, I, great. Yeah. And I also would love if people could value their bodies to mm -hmm. that same level where they would, want to know the ins and outs of their body and how to best like take care of their body and that that to me is is more on a value-based system mm -hmm. um, I think we had a question in our members community and they said how do you how do you better prioritize a self-care routine like what do I need to do to be able to prioritize it because I can't seem to prioritize it mm -hmm. And I kind of sat back and I was like, that's a really great question. I think that's something that so many people run into. And I also think that it's a reflection of their value system mm -hmm. of their own body. Mm -hmm. And that if they don't value their body, they're not going to prioritize the care that's needed for it. And then if we go deeper than that, why don't they value their body? What has happened in their life that they've lost a value system for their body? And, you know, you go a little bit deeper than that. And it's like, are they even connected to their body? Mm -hmm. A lot of people basically live here, mm -hmm. right? They're only ever in their thoughts. They're never experiencing their body because their body is the thing that experiences pain mm -hmm. 
grief, emotion, sadness, our body also experiences all of those like happy, joyous, blissful emotions. Mm -hmm. But if we, we don't get to selectively cut off from one emotion. We, if we cut off from one emotion, we cut off all the emotions, right? We, gotta, right? we get to numb them all. And so then it's like, okay, if they've lost connection to their body, they've lost a value system for their body, why would they prioritize self-care? Mm. Why, why would they? Yeah. You know, uh, the things that we don't, we don't care about, mm. we don't maintain. And so it's not a point to shame someone for not valuing themselves or valuing their body or valuing their emotional experience. It's an inquiry of what has happened and how can we turn the corner even a little bit mm -hmm. so that you can realize that your body matters, you matter, your experience in life matters, and you're worth taking care of. Mm -hmm. Like that, you know, like that's, mm -hmm. that, that feels like a really hard one for a lot of people to believe mm -hmm. that they're worth taking care of, they're worth mm -hmm. receiving care. Yeah. and kindness um, you think that comes as well from that thing of numb being and like you know, repressing almost or that, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. well and, and again I don't know exactly because everyone's life experience yeah. is different mm -hmm. but you know have they cut themselves off from their emotions because of something really terrible that happened to them mm -hmm. has their body become a place where so much pain has happened that they don't want to go there. Yeah. You know, um, I went through a really, really challenging experience in 2020. Um, I was in Costa Rica mm -hmm. when the pandemic was announced. I, I, like getting back to Canada was like a big panic because it was like all commercial flights were being canceled. So there's a lot of panic and um, around that. So even just that event alone was like, S slightly traumatic mm -hmm. <laughs> slightly <laughs> I just, um, but then I arrived home and within two weeks I was walking into the ER because I had this like really severe flank pain and I kept saying to Chris I think I'm dying I think I'm dying I think I'm dying and he was like well then we need to take you to the hospital mm -hmm. but the hospital was locked down it was a very mm -hmm. scary place uh, so we went there and they put me into a room all by myself right away because mm -hmm. I had told them I had been out of the country in the last two weeks. Um, they did my vitals, they scanned, like they did a, a chest x-ray and like, like it was just so fast and I was in the ICU in a like glass little cubicle, doctors all around me in full PPE mm -hmm. saying like, um, you're in like really bad condition. Mm -hmm. And like, you need to contact your family and let them know, A, that you're in the ICU, that you're not, like, that you're not in a good way, and no one can come and see you. Mm. Like, no one. Yeah. And I was very sick, mm -hmm. very, very, very sick, and all alone, and I didn't understand necessarily what was happening to me, mm. but I also lost all human connection because there was you know protective barriers mm -hmm. between the people that were 
trying to help me stay alive yeah. and myself, but those protective barriers also meant I lost all like human connection. Mm -hmm. And it was also really scary. It's like, you might die and you'll never see your family and you can just send them a text message. Yeah. And like, it just, it was, it was hard to be there alone, just with just your phone mm -hmm. on oxygen, very sick, not being able to stand, like lost all capacity to move my body. Mm -hmm. And then my body became this place that had betrayed me because it was so sick. I was like, I did everything for you. Mm. I have taken very good care of you. <laughs> Why are you betraying me like this? Like, that's yeah. really what it felt like. Yeah. And I was in the ICU for seven days and then I got transferred onto a ward um, and then I got discharged. It felt like I had been there for three months though. Mm -hmm. Like my, I just had no concept of time. And when I got out, I was this person that was promoting self-care mm -hmm. and promoting connection to your body, promoting movement. And I couldn't move anymore. Mm -hmm. I couldn't move my body because it, was in so much pain. Mm -hmm. I couldn't breathe. And the breath work practice was a, is a really important part of the movement practice. Mm -hmm. I couldn't take deep breaths anymore. Um, like I just, I lost every capacity that I had had. And by the time I got out of the hospital, I was so fragile. Like I, I just, I had lost, I think like 20 pounds mm -hmm. while I was in the hospital. I just, like I was unrecognizable to mm -hmm. myself. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't, like my body was just this like pure source of pain, mm -hmm. both in like physical pain, but mental pain. Cause I couldn't like do the things that I could do yeah. that, you know, made my life better. Like couldn't exercise, mm -hmm. couldn't do my like yoga practice, couldn't do my breath work practice. Couldn't go for a walk that like everything got just stripped away. Mm -hmm. And I remember like resting because I needed rest. Yeah. I was healing and thinking like, if this is what people's lives are, like if they're experiencing life in such a, and if they're suffering this much, I get why they wouldn't want to live in their body. I get why mm. they would want to completely dissociate from this experience because that's what I was doing. The only way I could survive was by just trying to cut off mm. from how painful the experience was. Mm. Um, and just like, you know, barely exposing myself to it as needed. Mm -hmm. um, and I, at that point, had a full support system. I had been through school for counseling, uh, psychology and psychotherapy. I had a therapist. I had been in therapy for years. Mm -hmm. I had been strength training for years. I had mm -hmm. been doing self-care for years. You would think like, how did you get so fucked up, <laughs> you know, like, and, and wouldn't you have all the tools to like rebuild? Yeah. And even with all of the tools to rebuild, it was incredibly challenging mm -hmm. for me to, to, to even w take the first couple steps to self care yeah. because my body had betrayed me, mm -hmm. you know? And I was like, fuck you. I'm not mm -hmm. taking care of you anymore. <laughs> I was, yeah. I was, I was quite, I was quite angry with that experience. I was very angry mm -hmm. at my body. And so it was, it was a lot of like very gently working through that emotion, emotionality stuff, yeah. but it, there, 
my body and my nervous system also fragmented so much of my experience. I can't access a lot of it. You know, that, there was yeah. definitely some complex PTSD and some ICU delirium that occurred. And it was there to try to protect me from how painful the experience mm -hmm. was. And so our bodies are like super cool in that it was doing that mm -hmm. without me asking it. Yeah. It was protecting me from the intensity of the experience. Uh, and then it was giving me an opportunity to like, when you're ready, basically, when you're ready, yeah. let's work through this. And I knew that because that, like I have that knowledge, mm -hmm. but people that don't have that, I like it's, I can understand why it would be so scary mm -hmm. to try to even step forward to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of compassion for people that don't know how to prioritize themselves, don't know how to value themselves, don't know how to have a sense of worth for them, their, mm. their selves and their body. And I don't want to shame them in any capacity. Mm. I want to find a way to support them. Yeah. 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 There, there's something, cause it was on, on, on different, uh, on several level, cause you <laughs> have the, the physical pain and, or the physical, um, I was going to say burden, but not burden, but when, uh, you're less capable of doing things, right? Mm -hmm. But also the fact that everything that you were doing was around that and the thing that... So there's the, the identity uh, yeah, that, that got, like, removed. Yeah. Um, so that's even even worse of, a, of, a, of an experience. I mean, even, more, I'll not say worse, but deep, I would say. Yeah. Uh, it, it stripped me... That experience stripped me of every identity that I held mm. at that time. I I had to grieve so many of my identities. Mm. Uh, it was it was very hard, and I still struggle with it. Mm. How how did you how did you do? Well, I mean, what, not how like what did you? What were like the kind of like the first step to? to reconnect, to, to, to move forward uh, from this. So it was kind of like when you started to do more meditation and, and things like that through, or, or not really yet? Um, I had to surrender to the rest process. Mm -hmm. I really had to surrender to, you need to rest. Mm -hmm. You need to stop trying to do things to get better you need to rest like that's all my body was asking for mm. was rest and I had to surrender and say okay I'm going to rest mm. um, I think it was a doctor said to me there's he's like you know crystal there's there's two people people that struggle to get off the coat the couch like the people that need to need to move and and they struggle to get off the couch He's like, but then there's also a unique population that you seem to be part of. People that struggle to get on the couch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's like, you need to rest. rest. Mm -hmm. And that's, he's like, that's all you can do. And that was such a painful experience for me. Mm. And ironic too, because, you know, before that I was like, the CrossFit community needs to learn to rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Uh, so surrendering to that process was the first step, I would say. Mm -hmm. And 
learning that surrendering didn't mean I was quitting. Mm -hmm. Like that was really like, that was like such a mind. I don't know how to describe that, but that was really hard. Yeah. Like it was just like, (laughs) yeah, like a little inception. Yeah. Yeah. Mind bending. Yeah. Um, and that, like, that was also when I started introducing what I would say is a more compassionate guided meditation and breath work practice into movement. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, as much as I have been delivering this aspect these last couple of years, I don't know if it has been truly compassionate and gentle in the way that maybe we need it to be. And the pandemic like took the world and like did this. Mm-hmm. And so many people were impacted in such an abrasive mm-hmm. way that there was just more and more need for gentleness yeah. and care and like softness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, like let's be a little bit softer with everyone. Yeah. Like we all need, like we're all burnt out. We're all completely trashed. We need gentleness, mm. you know, and I, that was me included. And I had this little mantra that I was just like, it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when I would say every day I'd wake up and I, I would not be okay, I'd be very sick. Mm. I'd be very unable to move my body, care for myself. And I just had to keep saying, it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to rest. Yeah. It's okay that you need this. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that's a lot of, um, it's a lot. (laughs) Did you, did you, so at what point, so this was three years ago now, about Mm, three years ago. Um, today, did you, did you recover completely? No. I'm still physically, I mean, at least. No, no, no. I, my, I don't know if I ever will. Mm. Um, so in the first year, I, I had this in my mind that I was going to recover 100% in a year. Mm-hmm. And then a year went by and I w- was maybe 10% mm-hmm. improved. And so then I set a new goal that in two years, I was going to be 100% recovered. Mm-hmm. The second year went by. And I maybe had seen another 10% improvement. Mm-hmm. And it was so painful, mm-hmm. the pace of improvement. And so coming to the place where I was, I might never mm-hmm. get back. Mm-hmm. And I need to find what my new pace is, what the new, like what, what the new path is forward instead of trying to get back. Yeah. Because maybe if I get back, like the path that I was on led me to be in the ICU. Do I really want to get back to that path? Mm-hmm. It might lead me to another hospital visit, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's like maybe there's a reason I got completely knocked off of that path. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I genuinely don't know why that happened. Um, yeah. Yeah. To this day, you, you've never really know what it was exactly. And, and yeah. I, well, I had bilateral pneumonia when I was mm. that 
there, that was that. Um, but they didn't know why I was why so sick. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, I didn't test positive for COVID, mm. but they were treating me like as if I did. Um, and it was, it was scary. It, and part of the rehab has been trying to get my system, my, my body and my nervous system to know that I'm safe. Like that felt sense of safety has been really hard for me to like feel again. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it was such a disorienting experience. Right. And um, I still have to do, like I'm still doing respiratory physiotherapy to try to get the, my lung capacity back. Mm-hmm. Cause my lung capacity has been severely impacted and my um, heart has been quite impacted as well. Mm-hmm. I had an elevated heart rate for basically the last three years. The first two years it was worse. I think my resting heart rate was around 115, mm-hmm. which is like yeah. no one's resting heart rate should be sitting there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which meant though that my, anytime I exercised, my heart rate would get up into like the 170, 180. Mm-hmm. And in the first year I pushed myself really hard to try to like get back to fitness. And I would just completely wreck myself to the mm-hmm. point where I was completely debilitated for the next month. And I only had to do that, you know, three or four times before I was like, oh, shit, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Um, so now I monitor my heart rate quite closely in exercise and I basically can't go above 150 mm-hmm. or I know I will be wrecked. Mm. Like my system will be ruined um, and I just need to a lot of recovery time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I happily can exercise three times a week now mm-hmm. and without it being debilitating. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've been able to adapt so that I can do that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that now. Mm-hmm. I used to train five to six days a week and I used to train for almost 20 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So training three days a week for just three hours, mm-hmm. it's such a contrast, but it's like, I'm, I'm, I can be very happy with this. Yeah. I, I can, and I can embrace this, that, that this is where I'm at mm-hmm. and I'm gonna meet myself here because before I wasn't necessarily meeting myself. I was always chasing after mm-hmm. something better. Yeah. And here I'm like, I'm gonna meet the crystal just as she is today and and be really willing to be really okay that this is who you are and this is the body that you're residing in mm-hmm. and that that this is this is the this is the best version of you because it's the only version that mm-hmm. currently exists that like that was hard to hard to embrace but is mm-hmm. the, is true mm-hmm. right because yeah. what's the alternative that's the thing. It's it's it would be chasing my potential, mm. and but like being in love with my potential, but not being in love with myself. Right. Yeah. Mm. And so it's on some level living in a fantasy land. Mm-hmm. And again, it's yeah. like it's it's not yeah. truly having unconditional love for myself mm-hmm. if I'm only ever chasing my potential. Yeah. I feel like it kind of ends for what I was going to ask, but I was going to ask what what. Uh, what main lesson did you take out of that 
specific experience of having like all these things removed and had to adapt and be okay with uh, that new version yeah, probably probably that would be the biggest one is is how to meet myself mm, yeah. as as i am just as i am today and being willing to care for that part of me and not putting care in so that I could be better mm. or so that I could chase after my potential. It was mm. just the person that you are today is who I'm meeting and I'm not gonna put any expectations or conditions on you because who you are right now is who I wanna love and care for. So like reconnecting with the present. Yeah, mm. yeah. Coming, coming into that present moment and saying, hey, <laughs> mm. you're pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. How can I support you? Yeah. How can I love you? So, mm. but to, that was, it was not easy to get there. Yeah. I hope no one has, like, some, I say, like, sometimes when I think about it, I'm like, I just hope no one has to go through what I went through to get to that place. Mm. But sometimes, like, I'm like, did I, I don't know. Well, I mean, maybe you, you were chosen to go through that experience so that you can carry the message of, like, hey, you don't need to go through that to feel like this and just, say, just, <laughs> just feel just like just that. Just feel like this. <laughs> like, learn yeah. from my lessons, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it often works like that, right? Like, so people went through things and survived things, and then they can help other either go through the same thing or say, hey, like, maybe stop before you get to that point, and you can. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it's part of your... It adds up to your unique perspective and approach on, on things. I was gonna gonna end with uh, what is now uh, new and what what are you um, gonna do now with uh, with mobility uh, movement? Uh, is there like things for the future that you're gonna bring or are these like top secret things that you top can't secret. Yeah, talk it's all, about? Yeah, it's all top <laughs> secret. It's all top secret. Uh, you know the what's been important to me since since 20. 20 is is being able to create content again because there was a period of time where I was incapable of physically creating yeah. physically creating content so um, in the last year I've tried to create a lot of content to deliver mm -hmm. to my members meaningful content um, un that unique perspective and creating mm -hmm. the movement experience mm -hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I've been doing is trying to give presentations or like workshops or talks on the nervous system aspect, nervous system regulation, mental health, mm. and how it all actually like interplays into one another with our physical well-being, mental well-being, emotional well-being, and, and spiritual well-being if that's something that that you're into, mm -hmm. that these all actually play off of each other and, and helping people see that, that we can actually care for the whole being, the whole person. Um, so, but that's, that's pretty new because, you know, for a while the pandemic really restricted mm -hmm. travel yeah. access, like things. So even just in the last year, like to do something like this wasn't possible two yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, to present to those girls at that teen empowerment workshop mm -hmm. was impossible two years ago. Mm -hmm. And so right now it kind of feels like the possibilities are open again. 
and it's like what what drop do I want to put in the ocean and and how do I want to contribute in a meaningful way yeah. and that's that's kind of where we're, where we're at is yeah. let's create really meaningful content let's create a community inside of movement where we care for people and support people mm -hmm. and if we can make this into like a movement experience where maybe I can do some in-person stuff mm -hmm. and create that 360 experience for people, mm -hmm. like that would bring me a lot of joy. Yeah. Um, so like doing live work workshop and, and yeah. things like that, yeah. Yeah, um, and I also am like not trying to put too much expectations onto myself either mm -hmm. and say if, if the invitation arrives yeah. and if I'm in a place where I can accept it, then I will. For sure. Yeah. Like this invitation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It just it just happened to work out really well. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so today, just to say exactly what it is today, it's a, it's an app where you can just like getting and pick what you want to do depending on on what type of workout you're gonna do or what type of of a the mobility you want to work yeah. on. Like, how is it? Is it? Um, so we have a. We have an online platform that you can access through a web browser mm -hmm. or um, Android or iOS native app. Mm -hmm. Inside of the app, you get access to our entire video library. Mm -hmm. So it's on-demand video library like Netflix, but it's all routines with Crystal mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, for self-care. Yeah. Then we have inside that I curate a daily movement practice. Mm -hmm. So um, each week the program, the daily movement program comes out and it's curated by me, routines that I think would do really well, molded together in yeah. the way that they are. And sometimes they'll have different focuses or intentions. So this month in particular, our intention is to have an emotional check-in Mm -hmm. with our, our members, so they do their movement and then they also do an emotional check-in and having the practice of checking in with what am I feeling right now in this moment, mm -hmm. not judging it, yeah. it's not good, it's not bad, it might be uncomfortable, mm -hmm. what am I feeling, where do I feel it in my body, how intense is the feeling, and then a, just a gentle question, am I willing to sit with this without judging my experience? Mm -hmm. And then the last question for the emotional check-in is, what would support look like for me? So it's, it's teaching people how to check in with their emotions. Mm -hmm. And then if they need support, being able to identify what support would look like for them. Because a lot of people don't actually know uh, how to identify a need mm -hmm. for themselves, how to support their needs, or how to ask for support. Because they've never inquired mm -hmm. what support would look like. So a lot of people walk around in the world feeling very unsupported, mm -hmm. but they also don't know what would feel, what would be support. Yeah. So if you can teach someone to just gently inquire, like really curious, it doesn't have to be a big meaningful thing. It, mm -hmm. could, it could just be, I'm feeling happy in my heart. What would support look like for me? Sharing with my partner that I feel happy. Mm -hmm. Like that would feel really supportive to have that connection. Or it could be I feel sad and it feels like a heaviness in my shoulders. What would support look like for me? Well, maybe if I talked to a friend and shared that I've, 
I have some sadness. Mm-hmm. Or maybe if I went to the gym and saw my favorite training person, that would feel supportive, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And getting them used to it's okay to check in with yourself and it's mm-hmm. okay to inquire about support because yeah. we all deserve support. Um, and, and that that's a part of our daily movement practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of that, we have a, a bunch of different um, targeted routines mm-hmm. specific to different body parts, weightlifting movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have it categorized into warm-up, recovery and restorative mm-hmm. guided meditations. So different routines based on if it's an upper body, lower body, full body. And then we even have some very specific stuff for like warm ups for a snatch mm-hmm. or clean and jerk or CrossFit warm up. Yeah. Um, or even very specific in our recovery routines as well. And uh, we recently came out with mobility snacks. Oh. Yes, snack size mobility routines. What does uh, like uh, like real snacks or? <laughs> well, no, they're just they're 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 condensed. Like yeah, ones, they're yeah. they're snack size, so they're shortened versions of the full full walkthrough. I see. Yeah. So that if you're on a yeah. time crunch, it's it's intended to Perfect be supportive, yeah. uh, depending on your time. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. How did? Um, how did your community react or like the people react to the this emotional check and 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 uh what was the if you had like any like feedbacks on that like the, do people were more oh i never thought about this yeah, or i think it's a it's always going to be mixed yeah uh human beings are emotional beings we experience the world through our emotions first mm-hmm. and so when when you've repress your emotional side for a really long time when someone inquires about your emotions it feels a bit abrasive Mm -hmm, so i'm used to being that abrasive person that's like (laughs) tell me how you feel yeah Uh, yeah, you know what i'm talking about yeah Yeah, it's like what um who are you yeah exactly don't ask me that so vulnerable um Mm. and so it's it's always going to be mixed and if if people are trying to evade their emotion, they're going to come up with all kinds of excuses to not do this gentle exercise. Mm-hmm. If people are open to it, they are like they'll be willing to. Um, and so I've actually had some really interesting feedback about people thinking that it's a really big question. It's more like existential question. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's just how do you feel? Boom! Right in that moment. Mm-hmm. That's it. Not what's yeah. the theme of my life? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How did I get here? Yeah. <laughs> um, Even though that would be a good one too, but then r- maybe not be just before. A, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's. <laughs> but it's also when I when I put stuff out like like this, it's a learning opportunity for me mm-hmm. to recognize that okay, maybe I need to deliver this with a little bit more education than just the exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And it's also a reminder that a lot of people don't feel comfortable feeling their feelings yet. Mm-hmm. They don't feel comfortable, mm-hmm. which means there's, this is still a need and we still need gentleness and softness and compassion mm-hmm. when we're delivering this. So when, when I get mixed reviews or when I get pushback on yeah. it, it's not for me to be like, well, f- 
fine. Like, mm-hmm. fuck you guys. Yeah. <laughs> because it's it, even more needed. It, I'm it, like, yeah, yeah ex- exactly. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, there's a need for this. Mm-hmm. And I have to find a different way to potentially approach it mm-hmm. so that it might be softer or gentler that you might, you know, you might warm up to it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, it's uh yeah, we need to find like How do you approach. feel about feeling your feelings? Um how do I feel about feeling my feelings? Now I'm feeling good about oh. it. Um like maybe there's some buy-in now? Somewhat, sorry. Like like um I've shared with you why it's important. Yeah, I th- I think to me it's more on the the human experience uh, level, I, I I know that we're like you were saying we're emotional beings, and and I I made peace with like whatever it is I feel. I know that like I have to feel it because I'm here for it, mm-hmm. and I I I want the full me personally. I want the full thing. Mm. Now I'm not. I'm just like whatever I'm gonna feel. I'm gonna now embrace it and and. And really sit with it and let it go through. Okay, I feel this, and and more, be an ob- observer of what's going on, mm-hmm. whether than like trying to understand, trying to control, mm-hmm. but just like oh, okay, I'm feeling this. Why? Where does that come from? Mm-hmm. And then just like having it go through, and and but mainly made peace with like whatever it is that I feel it is it is what it is. I feel this. Just let it go through. Mm-hmm. Be aware of it. Mm-hmm. And then it will move because emotions are always, you know, it comes and go and it comes from something from very often like an external component that's Mm going to trigger something. Mm -hmm. And now I'm I'm way more interested into understanding why do I feel this? Why this instead of saying, oh, this is wrong. And like, no, you can't do this or you can't say this. Mm -hmm. But why that thing triggered something in me where does that come from and just understanding more like where mm-hmm. the, where's the root of this and why do i feel that because things going everything is going to happen to us like external things going to happen and 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 i'm more interested with with understanding why do i feel this and where does that come from so i can also maybe uh, do something about it mm-hmm. uh, but yeah like me it's now i'm like just like going with the flow, like whatever I'm feeling, I'm feeling it, it goes through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it and, 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 you know, I just like whatever. But yeah, it was a, it was a, um, not that I've never felt that I needed to, to repress, but I've had a big, uh, big thing. Uh, for me, it was more the, the fear of external judgment. Because um, I could always like do things with my life, but it was more with the expression. So talking, um, like a few years back, I could have never talked to a camera or do something like this. Uh, always the fear of like, oh, what are, what are people going to think about what I'm saying? Because it shows what's in my brain and it's being very vulnerable in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it was more like the expression, not necessarily doing something a little unusual or something that's going to be not in the action, but more in the expression. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the, the talking more, that was the big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, I mainly so realized the, the illusion of the, and this is why I was asking you, what, why do you think people wants to repress and, and where does that come from, that fear? Because to me, it was a big realization was to uh, see through this illusion of 
nobody, and if somebody's going to think about it, they're going to think about it for five seconds and then they're going to be back in their thing. It's really because we're stuck into our own perspective and we think everybody's like judging us or looking at us or thinking about us. But no, everybody's thinking about themselves and their lives. Mm -hmm. And it's not, for me, it's not even like a courageous thing anymore. It's more like seeing through the illusion that it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. the, the fear of like, oh, people are going to see me do this or do that or talk about this and that. And it's really, it's, it really was like seeing through the illusions, like whatever it is in any way. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's just like it's not that big of a deal. And it's mainly in our own, own mind. And what it does once you go through that is really good. Yeah, and, and what, what happened, like what you're describing, that, that fear, they're going to judge me. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, we are taking our own judgment of self and superimposing it onto them mm -hmm. and pro or projecting it and saying, you're going to judge me, therefore I can't, I can't mm -hmm. do this scary thing. Yeah. And so in a, in a way, it's our, our body's trying to keep us safe. Our, our mind's trying to keep us safe. Our like wh yeah. whatever. We're trying to find that safe safety. Mm -hmm. And so if that means I'm going to project that you're going to judge me, to stop me from doing the thing, yeah. to stop me from sharing my heart, to stop me from being close or having expression, mm -hmm. then I'm going to do that thing to try to stay safe. Yeah. And what you're describing is also saying that is a bit of an illusion, right? Like mm -hmm. you're, you're dismantling that saying, they're probably just as afraid of me judging them as I'm afraid yeah. of them judging me and that we're both already judging ourselves mm -hmm. to try to stop ourselves from doing the thing. And that, that judgment of self is, is people will demonize our own self-judgment. Mm -hmm. That, that self-judgment has been working really hard to try to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. And it's probably been putting in a lot of overtime, a lot of work. And that part of you that, that has been critical or judgment judgmental mm -hmm. also deserves acknowledgement and care too like I would just say that that a lot of people miss that usually when they're taking apart that like the dismantling or deconstructing yep. that is they want to throw away that part of themselves mm -hmm. that part of yourself is so valuable because it's been scanning for safety mm -hmm. and it's been working so hard like it's probably such a hardworking part of you, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we just need to have a conversation with that part of ourselves and say, I, I really value your, your work, mm -hmm. but you've, you've gone off on a side quest that I didn't actually want you to do. Mm -hmm. Can you come back and can you protect me in a different way? Mm -hmm. Can you protect me in that you're gonna prioritize my self-care? You're gonna, you're gonna help me in the same aggressive way that you maybe were judging me, but mm -hmm. well, let's, let's actually see if we can transform this aspect of me and let myself be whole, right? Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's the other part is like self-judgment, right? Like, yes, we're going to do that. Human beings are going to be judgmental of ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're going to judge other people and we see it as a bad thing. It's not, right? It's usually because we're trying to find safety mm -hmm. or be safe or some, like something. Yeah. And, and I never want to demonize those parts of ourselves that, 
have been working hard to try like just it's like it's like a, the five-year-old in us yeah. that was trying to keep us safe mm -hmm. they had really good intentions and that as an adult it stopped us from starting a podcast and so mm -hmm. then we're like wow uh, sh shitty self-judgment yeah. but yeah you know do you do you yeah. think that you ever take time to like appreciate that part of you for sure yeah i mean it's yeah it, it's like you were saying also at the like embracing the, the the shadows and and no you're not mentioning the shadows but saying the the it's the yin and the yang it's like it's 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 a we're a whole like mm -hmm. you said also and um these are we're here for a reason, and like you said, it's from from a safety perspective. I mean, yeah, I don't feel like personally I I I, I am like I'm hating that part of me now. It's just I'm just more focused on like oh fuck, like I'm happy that at that moment of my life I realized that and I and I opened that. Mm -hmm. and not like 20 years later or, or mm -hmm. maybe at the end of my life on my deathbed like oh shit I could have done all that <laughs> and I didn't um, so I'm more focused on and more focused and excited on, on um, the, the potential that now it's going to unlock and all these different things that I'm going to be able to do with this new mm -hmm. aspect rather than like oh like I couldn't have done uh, because I can't really change anything and it's yeah so it's yeah it's a good uh, it's a good thing, I think. It is a good yeah. thing, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it seems like you, even as you describe your relationship to feeling, mm -hmm. your relationship to your emotional experience, even you saying it is what it is, <laughs> yeah, and that like it will one. move, mm -hmm. is a really compassionate perspective. It's, it's very kind of you to have that perspective and relationship to your emotional experience. Mm -hmm. um, and like... Whenever I hear people talk like that, it, like I, it makes me smile because then mm -hmm. I know that there's kindness in your heart towards yourself, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Which is sometimes hard. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. Yeah. But I mean, we, we, I'm a big fan of what is the alternative, and this is why I, I asked you that question. I want mom is mm -hmm. because to me. Like it, it, it all when you zoom out and you see you know you have your life you were born and then we're gonna die we don't know when and we're just in the middle and like what is the alternative of just embracing the now and just do the best you can with what you have and deconstructing all the things that we categorized as bad and like shameful or whatever and just be focused on what you can do today with what you have and and because you never know it, it also I I unlock that because I I. Um, I've had um, a couple of times like people of my age and good friend of my age passed away mm. very young and this also opened my eyes on like fuck like you can't stay in a state of of being closed and just like being afraid of doing things because we we, we we're here to experience to embrace and to do mm -hmm. Uh, and there's plenty of people who couldn't, who don't have that the same chance or not here and now, like talking to be able to just um, do things, right? Like we have a potential for doing and creation that is, that is insane when you really look at it. Like I've, I believe like we live in this full neutral sandbox of a world that we can do everything we want and you can see things the way you want. There's all kinds of different perspectives on the good and the bad. And it's uh, it's too bad to not use it, you know. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and and blessing in disguise uh, that happened make make us realize um, how lucky we actually are to to just be able to do do things and and like it's like your story where you 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 had a knee injury that got you into something that now you, you loved and that you create a lot of things around that you know it's like from a bad thing mm-hmm. that turned into a good thing and then all the things that happened to you that probably in five ten years you, you'll be like oh now i understand why and, and it did this it's it's a it's all uh yeah, we very can, we can never know yeah yeah we can never yeah. know if that bad experience is bad um like we can know <laughs> we can know when things are like a, a traumatic event right yeah. or things that sh- maybe shouldn't happen but do happen but it's how do we transform and transmute from that experience yeah. and and there is a lot of opportunity there mm-hmm. and I like that analogy that the sandbox analogy yeah. like, mm-hmm. I really like that it's it's and what I what I think I most appreciated about it is it's kind of playful too yeah that and in that playfulness it, it gives us this ability to not take life so seriously. Yeah, yeah. Like when we don't take it so seriously and we can have play, mm-hmm. that gives us even more freedom oh, yeah. to, to like see those possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I don't know, that, that play piece has, I think, also been an important part for me in the last few years is like how can I incorporate more play into my life? Yeah. And why do I need to grow up? Mm-hmm. Like, do I really need to be an adult who doesn't play anymore? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. why? Mm-hmm. Play, play is so important for us at every age. Yeah. And yeah, that analogy that just like, I was like, oh, that's such mm-hmm. a good, I love, really like that. Yeah, because yeah, we, we why, why should we settle for like a life where you don't really have fun anymore? Uh, who said that? Like, there's no... I don't know. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a big. Uh, but it, it all. I like the um, really the meditation and and the thing you were talking about because to me it's all. Um, it all starts with all just having the awareness of these things because, um, I've heard also, not a long time ago it was from uh, studies I think end of last year that said that only like about thirty percent of the people had actually an, an inner inner dialogue. Uh, dialogue and, mm-hmm. and when I when I saw this I was like holy shit like that's crazy mm-hmm. and and I think it's hard for when you have a massive <laughs> inner dialogue or when you when you have a lot of awareness on your body on how you feel on on things it's very hard to then put yourself in the perspective of someone that doesn't, doesn't. And, and you can feel like oh do you even like you said you said oh do you why don't you guys know that you have to contrast the intensity with with the thing you know so but it's to me it's the the first step of everything is really just like the awareness of being able to just like zoom out and detach for a second of your 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 life everything that you do everything that you think is is uh you know you're caught up in the, your thing your job your and and just if you can just like detach for a second for that from mm-hmm. that but the first step is the awareness of of this mm-hmm. yeah and this is why i like all these things like yeah. mindfulness is meditation yeah. so it helps well and even that that the awareness piece, right? That's the the emotional check-in. Mm-hmm. Is it's a, it's asking you to be a curious observer. Yeah. And like, yes, you might be feeling the the thing, but 
bringing awareness, what do you feel? Where do you feel it? Can you not judge your experience? What do you need for support? Because unless you have that awareness that there's even something you might need support around mm -hmm. or that something's going on, mm -hmm. you can't do anything with, like you can't do anything without the awareness. And that, like people have said that to me my whole life, like you, awareness is the first step to anything. Mm -hmm. And even when it comes to like movement or meditation or strength training, you have to be aware of what what that need is in order for you to like take action right like you the yeah. it it's it's such an important part of it um yeah but it's it's also hard to like gain awareness yeah yeah like, like let's let's i'm like i don't even want to pretend like it's been an easy route to gaining awareness because mm -hmm. gaining awareness is not easy totally, yeah. um i don't know why i would ever think it was easy actually, as I'm saying that. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, and especially in today's world where everything is fast-paced, because what it requires for sure, I think, is is like stop everything, Just like stop and it requires stillness hmm. and and to, to just have the room to, to start being aware. Yeah, and so, for, for some people, uh, stillness can feel really threatening mm -hmm. and so if the stillness is part of gaining awareness mm -hmm. getting through the threatening nature of stillness can be really hard for a lot of people I think that's also why many people will struggle with that mm -hmm. um, and, and there's many reasons that can lead to stillness being threatening um, but I also think like that's why movement doesn't just have just meditation, mm -hmm. like where you're seated and that that's how you can have a mindfulness practice. Mm. That part of the movement-based practices or the body, body movement practices, that that can actually be a form of meditation that, that your system senses as less threatening than sitting still. And that by doing this practice, you can gently bring yourself into more stillness mm -hmm. into this practice. That I'm like, again, because there's, there's so many different needs yeah. and you, it, that stillness might be the most important part, but for another person moving slowly instead of moving so fast mm -hmm. and like, like, like janky, mm -hmm. can they move slow and smooth? Mm -hmm. and, and is that where they start to gain their awareness? Or is it when they lay and breathe? Mm. Is that where they start to gain their awareness? Yeah. All, all the places that we gain awareness are not going to be this, the same. And that's what I think is kind of cool about us humans is we're all uniquely similar and uniquely different. Like mm. we're the same, but we're all very different. We all have different lived experiences, but we all have like human bodies mm. <laughs> with yeah. like blood and tissue and hormones but then even inside of that like we'll have different femur lengths or different like mm. different accessibility pieces with our bodies not of all not all of us are able-bodied not mm. all of us are uh, come from a nuclear family system like there's so many differences inside mm. of our human experience um, which is again like why I love learning from my like my mem my movement members getting mm. feedback and realizing oh I'm not serving a need that's still out mm. there 
Like there's still, there's, a, there's an aspect to the self-care that I, I don't know mm-hmm. and I can keep learning. Mm. And how can I adapt and, and bring that to you guys? Because mm-hmm. I would say that the practice of stillness was an important piece for me, but it took me moving slower and slower and slower before I could even approach stillness. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's so interesting, right? Yeah. But for some people, they can just sit down and just mm-hmm. like chill. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let's let's uh hold on. Oh, that's right. I I was gonna say let's end with that. How do you what kind of advice would, did you find like it was hard for you to to do, is it hard for you to be still? And whether it is yes or not, but I'm sensing you said yes. Um what where like what what advice would you give to uh somebody that for who is hard uh to find stillness or to stay still or to meditate or to focus on you can find stillness in movement okay yeah you don't have to you don't have to physically be still Mm -hmm. to find the stillness that people are describing Um, so when I think of stillness, to me, it's an, um, like almost like an emotional experience, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people will say that it's, you have to be physically still. Mm -hmm. And I have, I've struggled with that my whole life and Mm -hmm. I still struggle with being physically still. And I don't, I, I think I've at least said to myself, I don't actually need to be still to, to still myself, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, and so that's what I say to people is like, you don't actually need to be physically still to mm-hmm. find stillness. You can find stillness in movement. You can find stillness in the movement of your breath. Mm-hmm. You can find stillness in the movement of your emotional experience. Mm-hmm. You can find it. it. It doesn't have to look like what it looks like for, for you mm-hmm. or for I. It's okay that it looks different. Um, Because I think a lot of us really want to be the same and have a sense of belonging. And that the only way we can belong is if we look exactly like our neighbors, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have to. We We can be different. And we can experience the same things as well. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, I think... You feel good? Yeah. Do we find stillness? <laughs> we did. We did. Uh, no, I think yeah, that was a good a good way of ending that. Um, well, thank you very much for this conversation. Yeah. Um, we'll put in the the description all your your website and where people can find if they want to uh, try and see what you you offer. Yeah. And um, it starts to rain. Pretty, yeah, pretty how, I, how ironic, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, thank you yeah. so much for, for inviting me. Yeah, for sure. And I'm so glad that we could have this conversation in person. Yeah, it's way better than on the screen, but yeah. I agree. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, thank you to Renee for letting us yeah. use her space. And, CrossFit and all the stuff, and I don't yeah. know. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was a great discussion. Yeah. Yeah.